Welcome to Resilience Radio, Crushing the Tough Stuff with Kim Addis. Brought to you by Frame of Mind Coaching, transforming your world. So what I love most about the Frame of Mind Coaching system is that um, it really goes deep and it gets to the crux of uh, your belief system and things that might be holding you back from taking action or moving forward. So I came to Frame of Mind Coaching about five years ago and I would have to say that the community of people that I am now involved with is the most invaluable piece of the entire experience. Frame of Mind Coaching has changed my life in every facet. My personal life with my kids, with my wife, my marriage has exponentially changed. Frame of Mind Coaching was such a transformational experience. That's definitely one word I would describe it as. And now, here's your host and the founder of Frame of Mind Coaching, Kim Addis. Good day, everyone. This is Kim Addis from Resilience Radio. Today, I have a guest with me that I'm very excited about. She's a best-selling author, a TEDx speaker, and works with those that like to create change in the world. Her name is Michelle, Michelle Vandepass. Michelle, welcome to this podcast. Thank you, Kim. Great to be here. I'm really excited to kind of dig in and hear about some of your views of the world. I'm, I'm interested because they're a little bit different, so I'm interested in digging in there. But let's just get the basics out of the way and just share with people. I know you don't want to share your age, so I won't ask you that question, but <laughs> married, divorced, kids, and what do you do? Where do you live? Like, Just give us the 50-foot the, the view. Well, let's just say I'm old enough to remember the 60s, and as soon as I tell you I've been I don't know, 36 years or something. That sort of gives away my age a little too. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I, I just want to say that I saw your TEDx video and you have beautiful skin. So I don't know how you do that. We'll, we'll you know, investigate that a little later. But I just wanted to throw that at you. Um, so you live in Colorado. And what do you do? Like, I understand that you work with people, but is that, are you a coach? Are you a speaker? What what In what capacity do you work with people? I think most of us sort of, answer that with, yes, I'm a speaker. Yes, I'm a coach. Yes. But the the bottom line of what I do is I really help people bring together their own purpose. I do that uh, a whole bunch of different ways. I am a business coach. I publish books. I work with authors to get more books out. I help people find their own purpose or at least recognize their purpose. I think we're going to talk about that because you can't actually find your purpose. And um, anything that helps people really feel like they're living more of what they're here to do and being sustaining while they're doing it, making their living, bringing in some income, being able to, you know, do it as their main source of income anyway. So go back. You said something interesting. You said people can't actually find their purpose. So what is what do you mean by that? You know what? I, 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 if I if I know what I suspect, I know what you're going to say, and I suspect that I agree, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So let's hear it. <laughs> so you know, I think, and I speak from experience, right? I think so many of us chase a purpose or are are on a life quest to find our purpose. We're, we're here to learn to love, love ourselves, love others. But when we drill down and get to a more individual 
life journey and we're searching for purpose. I think we're already living our purpose. We can't help but live our purpose. We're on the planet. We're doing uh, things every day that force us to live out our purpose. What I think happens with many of us is that we think we make a living at our purpose. And so the purpose search becomes a vocation search or a career search that's going to be fulfilling. So I do believe we're all already living our purpose. And that is something that comes so naturally to you. You don't even realize that you're chasing something that's already right there, uh, a big part of you already. So are you saying that every person as they exist in their current state is already living their purpose? Uh, I am. Yeah. And and what you're really saying is they're living their purpose just by the way that they really exist in the world, by their state, by their way of interacting, by their perspective, by their way of um, being in the world. Yeah, I don't think you can help but live your purpose, but I do believe coaching is one way that I live my purpose in my career, that I am pretty good about connecting with people and and drilling down good, solid advice or helping them go inside themselves to find their own advice. And But when I'm going through adversity, sometimes I forget that, right? And it's like, woe is me, or I don't feel well, or whatever whatever's going on in the world. And so it becomes cloaked. And <laughs> I joke that when I'm in that place, I eat a lot of chocolate. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and we all have coping mechanisms, right? Some are more healthy than others. Um, but I think what we're looking for is how do we stay in that place of purpose and interact with other people in the world in such a way that it doesn't become cloaked or masked when we are going through adversity and we're able to realize that we're still living our purpose. We just have to um, dig a little bit deeper and pull away some of the curtains. So are you saying, and I just really want to get this clear because it's an interesting perspective that people naturally live their, their purpose, except that when they experience adversity, sometimes their intention or their their ability to naturally live their purpose kind of gets a little bit hidden. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I, and, and what about this question? Like, I, I, I agree with you. I think that sometimes there's another element at play, and I'll share my perspective. I coach people, as everyone knows. And so it's very, very fascinating for me to talk to another very experienced coach. And clearly, you're highly experienced, so I'm, I'm excited about this. But I, I find that people do search for their purpose. And, you know, we could certainly talk about that. I find that you're absolutely right in an esoteric way. Everybody's purpose is essentially the same thing, which is to feel a sense of of happiness, of joy, of love. You call it love. I love that. That works for me. So I feel that essentially everybody's looking for the same thing and that their purpose is really similar from one person to the next. However, I also feel that a person sometimes not only does their adversity cloak their ability to live in their state of purpose, but I feel that their thinking or their beliefs interfere as well. So adversity could be an event that you face, but it's how you interpret, internalize, react to, respond to, uh, 
how you make sense of those events that create the cloak, if you wish. I like the word cloak. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I think also we cloak ourselves in busy work. Yes. And, and we cloak ourselves in searching rather than being. Yes. Oh, and so I, I think you're right on it. And it's it's how we're cloaking ourselves in all these different ways rather than being in the world. Rather and, than being in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so make a I, good point. I have an interesting philosophy, and we spoke about this uh, not too long ago, is that a lot of people are searching for their why. And again, I feel that most people have a very similar why. And the more important question is, what is your why not? What's really interfering with your ability to live the life you want to live? Like what's getting in the way? And that's different for everybody, but it's a more complex, it's a harder question to answer. So what's your why not? I like to answer that question with my clients, but let's, let's keep going. So um, you did a TEDx talk and your TEDx talk was around procrastination. Yep. Yep. What? It was a little bit different take than most people uh, think. Well, you talked about uh, Leonardo da Vinci and how he used to beat himself up for being a procrastinator. And yet he was a huge, uh, he accomplished a huge amount of things. And so what is your take on procrastination? I don't really want to steal your thunder. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, sometimes we just do procrastinate, right? We put things off that we know we need to do. However, for many of us, it's a creative process. And if we are creating, let's just talk business here for a minute, and let's say we're creating a new offering for our clients or we're putting together a package or something to sell, and we haven't quite got to what it is that we're going to say or how to wrap it up and what pictures we're going to use and how we're going to do the marketing, we may just keep ourselves in busy work rather than go deeper into the creative process. And in, in, when we're in busy work, I don't think we often accomplish very much. We just stay busy all the time. And there's always more work to do. If we can step back and allow ourselves to go deeper into the creative process, not trying to accomplish everything on a really strict deadline, give ourselves some space to allow our minds to think and our hearts to create and our imaginations to run wild. And we step back and and believe in our own abilities. I think we get a lot more accomplished in the long run. When we, yeah, so let me just finish this one thought. When we are always pushing ourselves to get things done on a deadline uh, and then we don't get it done, we beat ourselves up for procrastination, and that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just a timing issue. It's not ready to be birthed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when we go deeper and allow ourselves to be creative, I guess the question is, what prevents us from, from giving ourselves the time, the space, the freedom, the kindness to do that? <laughs> no way. Yeah, that goes to your why not question, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Part of it's cultural here in the United States of America. Uh, I think we're all used to rushing 
get things done, having a sense of accomplishment, being able to check off things on our to-do list. So that's part of it. Part of it is we're scared. What if we do give ourselves the time and we don't create anything brilliant, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and I think it's different for everybody. Some people maybe uh, have never had that luxury of giving themselves some time and space. And so they don't quite know how to go into the creative process. Uh, for some people like myself, I need to be in movement quite a bit. So even when I'm in the creative process, if I'm out walking, uh, I my subconscious just seems to work through all the things that were bubbling around in my head and not getting done. And so I tend to walk a lot and that helps me connect with my creative process. So when you walk and you are connecting with your creative process, like how do you capture that creativity when you're busy walking? (laughs) Uh, I, so a couple of things. Number one is these days I walk with my cell phone, which I used to obviously never do. But when I do have an idea, I voice record ideas. Okay. You know, or take a quick note or send myself an email. So I do do that. But the other piece is I think we really have to trust ourselves I took an art class once and my dear friend and instructor and mentor made us all paint a hundred pairs, a hundred totally different paintings. So you end up with a hundred paintings of a pair. And the idea is that you learn to go deeper. There's always more. There's always a place you can dig deeper and pull out more of your own creativity, even when you think there's nothing left. When you say a pear, do you mean the fruit? Yes. Okay. And so I think when we're walking, it's easy to think, oh, I got this brilliant idea. I'm going to forget it. It's never going to come up again. It's the only brilliant idea I'm ever going to have. I better like rush home and write it all down right now. And then we're just getting back into our own busy minds. So part of it is just to allow the process is back to my take on procrastination, allow the process to evolve and trust that it will, you will remember the important pieces. And if you don't, you'll get the next layer, you'll get the next piece. We all have so much depth to us. Mm -hmm. We all have a place where we can go deeper, like the hundred pairs, that there's always more in there. Uh, Your first take on does not have to be the final one that hits the paper or hits the screen or hits the project. Now, do you still have those pairs? Did you, did you keep those paintings? Um, somewhere. Somewhere. I'd be curious to see the difference between the first pair and the last pair. Now, let me ask you a question. You really are talking about allowing yourself a little bit of relaxation, like relax, stop being so uptight, stop being so wired, stop being beating yourself up over what you're not getting done. Just give yourself an op- a chance, an opportunity, a little breathing space to allow the creativity to step in and kind of take over. And you talk a little bit about uh, vegging out, that vegging mm-hmm. out is an intelligent thing to do. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. It goes back to my walk because that's my vegging out process. Uh, Some people maybe meditate, other people knit. You know, we used to keep ourselves busy with, uh, keep our fingers busy with things like knitting and crocheting and embroidery and 
cooking and all those sort of lost arts these days. But when we can just have space to do nothing, that's when our subconscious can process. We can take in what's in the world. We can enjoy what's all around us. And I think that is so important to be able to build a body of work, right? The people yeah. that we admire most, I think, are the ones that have a whole body of work that has been created over a lifetime. It's not someone who is that quick flash in the pan and then never was able to tap into creativity again or those one-hit wonders. I mean, we may enjoy them, but it is uh, looking back over your lifetime and what is your legacy? What is your body of work? What have you stood for? What can you say that you did in your life that made a difference for your family or for the planet or for other people or animals on the world? I think that's what's important. And that doesn't come in the busyness of day-to-day life. And, and that's, I think, also why so many mothers are especially frustrated because they're so in so much busy work, they feel like they can't take a moment to just breathe every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I want to uh, fast forward and I want to ask you a much more personal question. One of the things I'm super interested in is the concept of adversity. So how do people experience adversity and really get through it? If you were to look back at your life or even currently, what would you say is one of the greatest moments or experiences or situations of adversity you've ever encountered? Oh, wow. Uh, So reaching, you know, remembering the 60s means I have a lot of decades here and I probably (laughs) have had um, many, I probably have at least a major adversity a decade and then lots of smaller ones, you know, every year, right? Mm -hmm. So I've had um, really good very good personal friends die. I've had a business partner die. I lost a business, a multi-million dollar business uh, 20 years ago. So all of those things are very difficult to get through. Um, so how did you get through them? Like when a, f- a good friend dies or when you do lose a multi-million dollar business, like what what allows you to keep going? What is the mindset that allows you to be in that situation and kind of know that this is not the end? Wow. Uh, for me, it's a, such a great question. I'm not sure I've ever really thought about it uh, this deeply, uh, Kim. But I think for me, you know, a big part of it is I, I allow myself the space. So what's interesting is when I lost my business, that's when I took up painting. When uh, when my friend died, that's when I really started doing a lot of walking, miles and miles okay. of walking. So I think, again, it, for for me and what I've seen work in my life, my life and my client's life, very often it is about giving ourselves a space and not feeling like we have to power through it. Have you ever felt like a deep sense of sadness or depression or just overwhelm or even hopelessness for a period of time? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> where you felt like, man, I don't know how to get out of this place. 
Yeah. Um, and we all have tools. Uh, you know, I have a great body worker. Uh, I use essential oils. If, if you're asking about my personal tools, what, what's I have a, a body tool. worker. Um, a great massage therapist who also oh, does okay. other types of okay. modalities. Yes, yeah, someone who actually, you know, works on my body and gets it all worked out. Okay. Uh, I use essential oils. I walk. Um, I do Tai Chi. That is very, very grounding for me. Uh, I read. I lose myself in uh, all kinds of novels, you know, fiction novels, sci-fi and um, thrillers and all kinds of things. And again, it's about not trying to power through it, giving myself some space. I think we all have different tools. Some people are runners. Some people do yoga. There is something about connecting with your body, though, I think that helps us really move through the grief. Are you a journaler? Um, I'm not presently, but I have been a journaler in my past. I have. So I'm a big fan, fan of journaling. I encourage everybody to journal, particularly when they are trying to work through uh, an adversity. And I find that what you're saying is very, very uh, on point, the idea of making space. And mm -hmm. what journaling does is it allows you to make space in your brain. Because when typically you are going through a challenging time, you spin it over in your mind over and over and over and over again, and there's really no space. And when you are able to journal, you you literally put it down somewhere on paper or on a computer, and that allows you to create space, allowing other possibilities to seep in. And so it's a, it's a very, very powerful process. Now, one of the things you were talking about before was the idea of like keeping your hands busy, knitting, walking, doing something. And there is a concept out there called the breakout principle. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I have not. So the breakout principle is, is exactly what you're talking about, only there's a term for it, which is doing a repetitive action over and over and over again. So it could be washing dishes, it could be folding laundry, it could be walking, it could be bathing, like something, often there's water, water involved, but it, or, or knitting, or something very repetitive, even meditating with the same chant over and over again, but something that you're doing that occupies the body so that your mind is then free to go and solve problems. It's, it's called the breakout principle. Whoever's listening, go look it up. It's really interesting. Um, but if you are struggling with a big problem and, and can't seem to find a solution, there's an interesting opportunity for you to engage in a repetitive physical action or behavior that will allow your mind to go off on its own and solve, solve the problems of the day. I love that. That's, I'm sure, where my walking comes from. Yes, actually. And, and walking is, you know, it has a pace, it has a cadence, and that's very similar to the repetitive concept that I'm talking about. Now, you are a foster parent. You have a child that's 12 years old. Is that your child or is that a foster child? Um, she's my adopted child. She's your adopted child. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that you had alluded to, you've, ad you've had many foster children over the span of your life. Yeah, well, I don't foster any longer. Okay. Um, I fostered for a few years and I, um, 12, I think. It's, I have to count now. I'm pretty sure it's 12 foster kids that uh, wow. we had. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what kind of experience was that? I'm fascinated by that. I think it takes a very special kind of person to be a foster parent, uh, someone who's probably very patient, um, but but also extremely loving. So how, how did that work for you? Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, so 
that was probably a period of my time that felt like I was in the middle of adversity. Um, not as loving and joyful as one might think. Okay. And and I love doing it, and I don't feel the need to go back to do it. It's, it's one of those things like, wow, I'm so glad I did that, and I don't need to do it again. There's It, it is heartbreaking to be in the middle of a system that is not really working for anybody. I see. And everybody who's in the system knows it doesn't work. Every, you know, everybody. The right. kids know it. The social workers know it. The judges know it. And we just can't seem to find a solution that, that does work. Mm-hmm. It. Some of the children were extremely difficult. Um, Can you give me an example of what that might look like? So we had a six-year-old boy that... I had to, I locked myself in the bathroom once and had to call 911, calling wow. my husband. And, you know, so that kind of violent behavior from a six-year-old is pretty wow. scary. Um, we, we had, you know, children that would hoard food because they wouldn't get fed at home. Mm-hmm. And so they would steal food out of the kitchen and hide it in their pajamas and in their bed and under their bed and because they weren't used to having food. Wow. Um, so some of these experiences made me even more grateful for the life that I do have and at the same time makes me sad for the life that these children have and continue to have because we still have not solved the problems. Right, right. And, and so I, I, don't, I don't think there's an easy answer. I don't know what the answer is. And I, I hope that along the way I did give some help to some of these children. So I think one of the important questions that is worth asking is, how do you know when to call it a day? Like you said, I did it. I'm glad I did it. I did it, but I'm good now. I don't need to go back and do it again. At some point, you kind of felt like, okay, I'm, I'm, my time has come. I'm complete. I'm done with this. Yeah. Well, no, for a lot of people, they're in the middle of something. It could be a tough marriage or a tough job. Or how do you know when it's time to call it a day? Great question. Well, in this case, it was very obvious. We adopted our daughter and we just didn't want to bring other children into the house at that point. Okay. Um, We wanted to give our daughter uh, a good start without having um, other children come in who might be violent or have issues or whatever. And so for us, that was just obvious. But I tell you, I I owned a restaurant once and I had to decide I'm done, close the restaurant. And it took me a long time to make that decision, too long. Were Uh, there certain elements? Like, how do you know when anybody's done with something? Yeah, and that's a good question. Um, It took me too long to make that decision. And once I made the decision, it took me a month of grieving. And then I felt like, wow, I waited too long for that. I feel great. Right. Uh-huh. So once I was out the other side, but I did still have to go through the grieving process, feel like I was in the middle of um, a big decision. Was it the right decision? Should I have just kept going? Was I giving up too soon? Was I a failure? All the things we tell ourselves. And, you know, running a restaurant just was not something I was that passionate about. So looking back, 
it seemed obvious. I would have said, I'm, we're done here. Let's call it a day. But in the moment, it's not always so obvious. Right. It's interesting because I work with a lot of clients who are at a crucial decision-making point in their lives, whether it's an executive who's thinking of leaving and starting their own business or a business owner who's run their course and feels like, okay, my time is up. And so the question becomes like, how do I know when I'm done and how much do I hang on in order to have the most beautiful ending I could possibly muster? And when do I pull the plug, even if the ending isn't quite as uh, complete as I had hoped. And so I often have that question. And one of the questions that I ask my clients is like, let's imagine you cut it. Let's fast forward. Let's imagine you being done. What does that feel like to you? Is there a sense of relief or does it feel like, you know, you just betrayed yourself? Like, what does it feel like? Fast forward, put yourself in those shoes and imagine what that might be like. And yeah, so, so love that. Very, and so very often, if it's, no, I would, I would feel horrible or I would feel like I let myself down, then you're not quite ready, right? But if you feel the idea that you have a sense of relief, well, then let's expedite this. Let's get this done faster, sooner rather than later. And I, I'm a big proponent that I think one of our most valuable resources is time. And so, you know, don't delay the inevitable and don't delay what you can do sooner. And in a way, it's a little bit opposite to procrastination because I want people to give themselves space, exactly as you described, but they are often bogged down in a situation and they can't get themselves out of it because they believe that uh, it would be wrong to do so, it would be a failure, what would people think of them, etc. And I'm eager to move people into a place of freedom and space. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. And when it's time, it's time, right? Then you got to move quickly no matter what it is. That's right. So, yeah, give so yourself... Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if 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 there's someone who's listening out there, one of our listeners, and they're going through a tough situation, what would be the the strongest piece of advice that you would offer them? Ooh, so I think it is to make yourself space. I love your concept of journaling, and I presume that you would invite people to use their hands to journal, not the keyboard. It doesn't matter. Actually, really? mm. no, because typing is a repetitive action also. True, true. Yeah. And, uh, and so I love that. I would also encourage people to connect with their body in some way, swimming, walking, yoga, tai chi, something that, again, probably the repetitiveness of it, but the rhythm of it that takes you out of your mind, gives you some space. Uh, find the tools that work for you. If you need to connect with your body even more fully, then go for massage or do what you need to do to really connect with your body so that it frees up the space in your mind and in your heart so you can heal. Uh, some people also really like to uh, read a lot like I do or go and um, volunteer somewhere. I, I so very often we'll ask clients to go volunteer to get themselves out of their own situation and to go be of service to others. I think that's a big one that helps people move out of their own personal grief. But you have to be at a place where you can do that, not always the first step. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a huge, that's a very, very good idea. So if anybody wants to learn about your services, if they're interested in learning about your coaching or your assistance and helping them, you know, move forward with any project or plan or goal that they have, how do they reach you? Oh, well, thank you, Kim. They can find me at michellevandepass.com, and that's Michelle with two L's, and Van D. Pass, there's no R in there, V-A-N-D-E-P-A-S.com. So I'm going to ask you a weird and unusual question, um, and because it's one coach talking to another coach, but you have a coach on the line here in front of you talking to you, and if you had to ask a coach any question, any question at all, uh, what would you ask? Wow, what a great, <laughs> what a great thing. Let's see if I could ask a coach any question. And meaning me, not just any coach. Right, right, right. <laughs> I know. I get it, Kim. Um, you know, I think I would ask you, what is the real behind the curtain key to your success? What's the one thing that you do that you think helps you be successful in your business? Well, I'll answer that very easily. And it's interesting because of the way you framed it, right? What's the one thing I do in my business? And I have to say it's nothing. I don't do anything. And I would suggest to anyone who's looking for massive success that the key to your success is your thinking. It's the way that you think. It's how you think about everything you do, everything that's in front of you, your relationships, your clients, your employees, your, your, your family members. It's how you think as opposed to what you do. Why? Because doing or action follows thought. And so if your thinking is aligned with your goals, your behavior naturally follows. If your thinking isn't aligned with your goals, then your behavior won't naturally follow. It will be tough for you. You'll experience frustration, um, chaos, tension, overwhelm, etc. And so if you're feeling any of those things, ask yourself, how am I thinking about this that's causing me a slowdown? So it's not so much what I do, but it's different. It's what I think that really makes a huge difference in my success. Love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I want to say thank you so much for uh, joining me today on this show, for participating in this call, for sharing your wisdom, for talking to us about procrastination. And for me, you know, I just want to go out and, and, and start walking now. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about that. And so I appreciate so much the time you've spent with us. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure uh, getting to know you a little more here today. Thanks, Kim. So the journaling component of this whole journey has just been paramount. It has allowed me as a client to dump everything that was in my head. It has resonated with me extremely well, and I find this to be a model that is so applicable to so many different people. It really gets to the core of things that might be holding you back. So for me, that's been one of the most profound things uh, and learnings about frame of mind coaching. And my coach really showed me my potential. And, you know, with the journaling in combination with, you know, building this extraordinary relationship, I realized what I have to offer the world. And um, I loved it so much that I'm trained to become a coach myself. You've been listening to Resilience Radio, Crushing the Tough Stuff with Kim Addis. For more information about Frame of Mind Coaching, visit frameofmindcoaching.com.